Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. Good morning, Abbott Luke. How's everybody doing? We have been talking the last two weeks together about total forgiveness. Pastor Josh has done a, an excellent job of laying out the reality, the, the simple but at times devastating reality that unforgiveness binds us into prisons in our life. It's not God's choice or judgment. It is reaping what we sow. We hold unforgiveness. We feel justified in our bitterness or our anger because we have been hurt. But the reality is that when we do not forgive, it's not the other person who pays the price for that. We're hurting ourselves. And so if for no other reason than a self-focused reason, I didn't say selfish, but self-focused reason, I want to learn how to forgive quicker, more completely for my own good. I want them to be blessed too, but for my own good, I want to be able to walk into the freedom of forgiveness. But one of the things that we have discovered as Josh and Frank and I and others have been talking about this subject to prepare this series is that invariably the scripture connects my ability to forgive other people with the foundational issue of how I view my own forgiveness from God. So when we look at the verses that we have been uh, building on the last two weeks, the question that we want to address today is this question. Am I totally forgiven? If we're going to learn to forgive others and to totally forgive others, The Bible verse that we built this whole subject on in Colossians, and then Paul says the same thing again to the church in Ephesus, is that our ability to forgive other people rests upon the foundation of the way we view our forgiveness from God. Take a look at these verses. This is the one that we've been looking at every week now. You must make allowance for each other's faults. Let me, let me just stop right there and say that in Hebrews chapter 4, we are told a fantastic, awesome truth. And that is that we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses. Right? Isn't that awesome? Well, if we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses, shouldn't we attempt to understand the weaknesses in our brothers and sisters and other people? How many have been hurt by an unbeliever only then to realize they're just being what they are? Unregenerated, right? So Paul says you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Now, this next line is very important. There are two words here, two forms of the same word that are important. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The word forgive and the two different forms of the root word forgive uh, in this sentence are very important because the first thing it says 
is it uses the word forgive in what tense? Past tense. The Lord, past tense, has forgiven you. He forgave you, past tense. Present tense, so you must forgive others. My ability to forgive others is uniquely linked to how I understand these words, the Lord forgave you. Not is forgiving or will forgive, but has forgiven you, past tense. Now go to the same thing in in, in Ephesians. Obviously, Paul had to write this to several groups of people because all people struggle with the same dilemma. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted. I like that translation because in order for, for, for you and I to understand God's forgiveness to us, we always have to remind ourselves, what is God really like? And one of the things that He certainly is, is tender-hearted toward us. His heart is soft toward us. It's not hardened in anger, but it's softened in love. And for us to be able to forgive others, we must maintain a softness of heart. And one of the ways to do that is by always remembering how much we've been forgiven of. So that, he goes on, forgiving one another, present tense, just as God through Christ has, past tense, forgiven you. So then the question that we're dealing with this morning is this, am I totally forgiven? Do I really believe that? And if I believe that, what effect would that have in my life? So to do that, let's take a look at the position that the the, the, the apostolic writers took in laying this foundation. Foundation is absolutely important. It's the name of our discipleship workbook, Foundations. And in this book, Foundations, we talk about our forgiving uh, of one another is rooted in our ability to comprehend that we have been forgiven. If you've never gone through this with someone, before you leave the building today, grab one of our, our greeters in the back and tell them that you'd like somebody to take one hour a week and walk through this Foundations book with you because, Jesus said... They who build the, 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 the house of their life on sand, they're going to fall. When the winds blow, it's going to take us out. But if we build it on a rock, then we have a firm foundation. And one of the most significant rocks in that foundation is our understanding of what it means to say, God has forgiven me. I am totally forgiven. Would you say that with me, please? I am totally forgiven. Whether you believe it or not, just say it. I am totally forgiven. The more certain I am that He has totally forgiven me, the more empowered I am to forgive others. The more certain I am that He has totally forgiven me, the more empowered I am to forgive others. And the more certain I am that He has totally forgiven me, the more confidence I can stand in. But the attack of the enemy is to steal our confidence. John writes in 1 John, and he says, if your hearts do not condemn you, then you have confidence with God. But if we allow our hearts to condemn us, it's because we're not believing the truth. We no longer have confidence with God. Our confidence rests 
upon the foundation of knowing the nature of our forgiveness from God. Now, we talk frequently about the two covenants. We do that because the New Testament talks a lot about the two covenants. We talk about the old covenant, and then we talk about the new covenant. But when we talk about forgiveness in these two covenants, it is important to understand the difference and to not mix the two. The entire letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia was based on trying to articulate to them, do not mix the two covenants. Appreciate the old covenant for what it was and what it is to us now, but don't mix the two together because it's deadly When we mix it, mixing the two together causes the old covenant to neutralize the power of the new covenant. So we have to see it and view it through new covenant eyes. So in the old covenant, priests had to offer sacrifices every day for the individuals as they came to the tabernacle and later on to the temple every day. Once a year, the high priest had to make the major day of atonement sacrifice for the entire nation. And he had to do that every year. Under the old covenant, sins were not removed. They were temporarily covered. In the hope that when Messiah came, he would take them away forever. So people under the old covenant were always looking forward in the hope of forgiveness. But in the new covenant, Christ has already paid for all sin once for all. Past, present, and future. So we, in the new covenant, we look backward in gratitude. And then he empowers us to forgive other people. When I look back at the once For all forgiveness he has given to me that empowers me to quickly and easily forgive other people. Now there are three words in the statement that I just made that I want you to focus on and repeat with me. And those are the words once for all. You ready? Say that with me. Once for all. These three words made the foundation upon which the early believers built everything they believed. In fact, these three words formed the very foundation for why hundreds of thousands of Jews in the first century completely abandoned what they had been taught all their lives about temple, priest, and sacrifice. Because it was all fulfilled in Jesus. That gave them the courage to face the very real risk of prison and death for the blasphemy of betraying their faith. By believing that it was all fulfilled in what Christ had done. But these three same words, once for all, also empowered millions of Gentiles to stand against the first century Caesar cult that demanded complete allegiance to Nero as Caesar, not only as king, but also as Nero, Lord and God, which was the inscription that he had put on the 100-foot statue made of himself. And the Caesar cult was that Caesar is Lord. 
But those words, once for all, what Christ has done for us is once for all. Those words gave a foundation to millions of Gentiles to stand against the Caesar cult that Caesar is Lord and God and declare Christ is Lord and God even to the point of brutal death. Surely those words must be important to us. So the Old Covenant was looking forward. Let's look at John chapter 1. This is Jesus being introduced by his cousin, John the Baptist. This is just at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the Apostle John writes about John the Baptist and says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who isn't going to cover sins temporarily... But what is he going to do? He's going to take away the sins of the world. The promise in the new covenant is that sins would be taken away. Now, this is John the Baptist. Jesus said, the greatest prophet of them all. And John is prophesying what was promised originally in the garden. When God says to Adam and Eve, I'm going to cause a seed to come all the way through your line. And when that seed finally shows up in human history, he will crush the head of the one who has so troubled you today. This is what John is speaking about. That the Lamb of God, is going to come, but he's not just going to cover so that he has to do this every year, every year, every year, or every day, every day, every day. You know why they had to, to offer sins uh, for the people every day under the Old Covenant? is because they sinned every day. You see, they're not like you. On the other hand, oh, wait a minute. Maybe they are like you, at least to some degree. Certainly like me. But the promise in the new covenant is that the Lamb of God would take away the sins of the world. Now, years later, this same Apostle John who wrote those words about uh, John the Baptist introducing Jesus, several years later, he writes to the believers and he says, He, Jesus, is the sacrifice for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. World, I, I've got some uh, dear friends who, who I love dearly, leaders who are um, very, very Calvinistic, and because of that, they base their their uh, their belief or the the the, the way they uh, kind of categorize their beliefs on the five points of Calvinism uh, by using the word tulip, and each letter begins or stands for uh, a doctrinal issue, and the the the, the L in tulip means or stands for limited atonement. And the basic idea in their way of thinking is that Jesus did not die for the sins of the whole world. He did not atone for the sins of the whole world. Jesus only died in a limited atonement for those whom God had chosen or elected before the foundations of the world without any consideration of the person who they were, what they would do, or whatever. Now, when we sit around and talk about this, we always come to a full stop where we can't, we we just can't go any further in our discussion when we come to John, 1 John 2, 2. Because, I mean, I know I'm not real smart, but 
it seems to me that that's pretty simple. It's pretty simple that John said, and not for our sins only, but for the whole world, knowing that many or most in the whole world would choose not to believe. And yet he did it anyway. We'll come back to that in a moment. But understanding what this was pointing to, and then years later when John writes and says, now this is what happened. Christ appeared. He took away the sins not only of you, but of the whole world. And then now there's a shift in the way the apostles talk. After the resurrection, the ascension, the spirit coming on Pentecost, there's a change now in the way, and all the, all, all the writers of the New Testament letters, they were all Jewish. They'd been raised all of their life being taught what we now would refer to as the old covenant looking forward to what the messiah would do but now we see these men begin to look backwards in gratitude and there's the 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 three words that form the unshakable unmovable foundation in their life for confidence are the words once for all and they all talked about this the evidence of that is doing the simple thing that we talk about frequently about uh, how do you uh, interpret or understand the Bible? One of the ways is by comparing Scripture with Scripture. So if you just take these three words once for all and open a good Bible concordance, you get a great education on what gave these people the security and the empowerment to face terrible tragedy, terrible torture, and in many cases, horrible death. But it was based on this simple but life-changing statement or concept in romans chapter 6 we have the apostle paul who said who spoke about this regularly and he says this for we know that since christ was raised from the dead he cannot die again death no longer has mastery over him now under the old covenant The high priest and the individual priest had to sacrifice every day and every year because the people's sins were covered, but they were not taken away. They were forgiven, but they were not regenerated. So they had to keep doing this over and over again. But Paul goes on and he says, the death he died, he died to sin. What are the three words? Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Once for all. There's no uncertainty there. There's no wondering in Paul's mind. Well, I know that on the road to Damascus, he forgave me. But since then, you know, I've been far from perfect. And I'm wondering if he... That that, that was not a struggle by this time in Paul's life. And he's writing to the believers in Rome so that they would be free from that struggle. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not all I should be. And so I guess God can't use me yet. And... How many, how many know that line of thinking? But it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It is. And I need to be able to look in the mirror and say, that's a lie. Now, how do I know that's a lie? Because the Holy Spirit inspired every single apostolic writer to use these three words again and again and again. Look at what Peter says, and I'm just giving you a few of them. First Peter 3, Christ also suffered when he died for our sins. What are the words? 
once for all time. Just to make sure we get the all thing, he puts time on the end. Once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners. And I love the way this is translated. That he might bring us safely home to God. He paid for sin once for all. So you and I can come home. And be in God's family where he's always wanted us to be. Nowhere is it more evident this once for all idea than in the book of Hebrews. Now, the reason it's referred to as the book of Hebrews is because it was specifically written to Jewish Christians who were struggling with accepting that temple priest and sacrifice had served its purpose and it was now done. It was finished. It was done away with. The temple now was us. We are the temple of God on the earth. The priesthood is us. We are priests, men and women, priests before God. Peter quotes and says, we are the royal priesthood. Sacrifice, the Lamb of God, has appeared and taken away the sins of the whole world once for all. So the letter to the Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who are struggling with Am I going to put my faith in the new covenant or am I going to hang on to what I've been taught all my life? And hundreds of thousands of them at the risk of their own lives made the choice to build their lives on once and for all. So listen to these words and the significance to it. And again, this is not all of them, but it'll certainly suffice. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 27. He does not need to offer sacrifices every day like the other high priests. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all, when he was when he was sacrificed or when he sacrificed himself on the cross. Then Hebrews chapter 9 begins with once for all time. He took blood into that most holy place, not the blood of goats and calves. He took his own blood and with it he secured our salvation for Ever. Isn't that awesome? Now I know when, when we, I, I understand, when we start talking like this, especially when we read a verse like this, he secured our salvation forever. I, I, I'm, I'm well aware of the argument that comes up among people about are we eternally secure or can we lose our salvation? Well, first of all, I certainly don't think you can lose it like you'd lose your wallet. Uh, so we might need to use some different words. But I think there's a bigger issue here. And let me just put it like this. And then you can email me if you want to know more about what I think about it. I'm just not going to tell you what my email address is. But it, all right. So just, just li- if I spend time wondering just how far into sin I can go before I may forfeit my eternal salvation, then I have a much bigger problem than just an answer to a theological question about eternal security. I have a heart problem that desperately needs to be healed. The good news is it can be healed if that's what I want. 
But if you spend any time at all wondering, okay, well, can I get this close? You've got a bigger problem than this. Now we're talking about is Christ living in you or not? And if he is, then that's what you need to be listening to and focusing on, not worrying about where the line is, but living in the security of what Jesus has done for you and empowering you to do. And we always come back to the issue that once people have put their faith in Christ, a miracle begins. A miracle begins. If we stop with believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've nullified the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is that if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, a miracle begins inside of me. And that miracle is not promised by any other, by faith in any other thing. Now, look in uh, slide 10, I think it is. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read this. The old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come but not the reality of the good things Christ, past tense, has done for us. Sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Now, just stop right there. Now, you understand, we all understand enough about language to know that if this line says the old way of doing it could not provide perfect cleansing, that is stated in contrast to the opposite in the new covenant. If the old covenant could not provide perfect cleansing, what then does the new covenant provide? Perfect cleansing. Once for all. Perfect cleansing. That's what we have been offered. And then it goes on. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. Well, you see, there you go. With the offering of Jesus, as far as God's desire, the offering stopped. Because the one had come who was the fulfillment of every offering and sacrifice once for all. Then he goes on, the sacrifice that would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified. Hear the words, what are they? Once for all time and their feelings of guilt this is so very very important their feelings of guilt would have disappeared their feelings of guilt god wants your feelings of guilt to disappear god wants us to be able to take responsibility when we do sin but not be killed by the shame of it you and i can learn to take the blame Without being destroyed by the shame. We can learn to take responsibility for where we missed the mark. Without allowing shame to kill us. Because Jesus took all that shame. And there was a cleansing that he wants for us. In our hearts, in our minds, a renewing in our minds. Those yearly sacrifices, he said, uh, verse 3. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All those generations under the old covenant, God forgave, but it could not take away. So they came, they got forgiveness, but when they left, they were still the weak people they were before they came. But for you and I, we come once 
and receive the forever once and for all gift. But at the same time, we also receive the indwelling of Christ by his spirit that now begins to empower us. The problem with the law is that it demanded of you things that it did not empower you to do. But in the new covenant, we're not only forgiven of where we missed the mark, but we are empowered now to begin to grow. And more and more to be able to say no. Well, what happens when I don't say no and I do sin? Take responsibility. Don't blame it on anybody else. Do not follow Adam's method of it's the woman you gave me. He got Eve and God in that one. Isn't that amazing? Take responsibility, but, but do not crawl up to the altar begging God to forgive you. Take responsibility for our sin, but do not beg God for something that he has already done once and for all. Live in thanksgiving. Jesus I am so grateful that you already paid for that. Now, I have a mess to clean up because I chose wrong and I sinned. And I'm going to have to clean that mess up somehow. But you do not hold this against me. You, once and for all, have forgiven me. That's my confidence. That's my hope. That's my unshakable foundation. And then we go a little further here in Hebrews chapter 10. If you just jump down two or three more verses to verse 8. Christ said, this is prophetically spoken through David in the Psalms. You did not want animal sacrifices or grain offerings or animals burned on the altar or other offerings for sin. Nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. God was not pleased because it was only temporary. Then he added, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to establish the second. Now, I absolutely love this next line, the way the New Living Translation translates it. And what God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all time. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. It's beyond my ability to articulate how grateful I am And what confidence that gives me. And what confidence it should give you. However, this once and for all forgiveness of sin is not automatic. You don't get it just because he did it. If I write you a check, it's not money until you do something. I can write it out. I can have the money in my bank account. I can sign it. I can release the possession of it into your possession. But it's not money until you go to the bank and cash it. 
Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but it is not once and for all forgiveness until we choose to believe it and confess him as owner of our life. This is what God wants you to have. So he has given you the ability to make a choice. And he hopes with all of his heart of love that you indeed make this choice. If you're here this morning and for whatever variety of reasons, you have never asked Jesus to be the owner, Lord of your life. There's no better time to do it than right now. What he asks of you is two things. And these two things, I believe, don't just happen once in our life, but they have to happen repeatedly in our lives as our minds get renewed. And they're found most succinctly, I think, in Romans chapter 10. This is where Paul says, starting in verse 9, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, number one, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, why would Paul say you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? The reason is profoundly important, but also profoundly simple. The resurrection proves that God accepted the sacrifice once for all. The resurrection proves that God accepted the sacrifice once for all. He goes on, gives a little explanation. He says, for it is, it is with your heart that you believe, and the result is you are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be disappointed. So Paul lays it out simply like this. Number one, choose to believe that Christ's death and resurrection has given you forgiveness of all sin for all time. If you've never done that, right now is the very best moment of your life to do this. This is what God wants for you. This begins the journey. And then next... When we choose to believe that Christ's death paid for forgiveness all for all time, then we declare with our mouth that you want Christ to be owner of your life from this moment forward. So this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to make the choice right now to believe that Jesus offered himself for your sins forever, and the Father accepted that sacrifice joyfully. And I'm asking you to confess with your mouth that from this day forward, He will be the owner, the Lord of your life. We may not know what all that means. That's all right. It's a journey. But it starts with believing and saying with our mouth, I want you to be the owner of my life. Then the third thing that happens is, a miracle begins inside of you where Jesus, by his spirit, begins to live his life in and through you. Would you stand with me, please? If you've never done this, what an awesome time to do it right here, right now. I mean, this is 
This is a perfect opportunity, perfect time to do these things. Choose to believe that Christ's death and resurrection purchased you forgiveness of all sin for all time. Declare with your mouth that you want Christ to be the owner of your life from this moment forward. And I can make you a promise based on he who spoke and the world leapt into existence. That if you will do those two things right now, a miracle beyond our ability to comprehend will start in you right here, right now. I want you to bow your heads. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want anybody to feel put on the spot. But if this is what you want to do this morning, then I want to encourage you so we know who we're praying for. Just raise your hand. We had several in the first service and it was a joy. Thank you. Just raise it and you can put it back down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, good. Anybody else? All right, now look at me. If you're a believer, but your foundation is shaky, circumstances arise and it makes you wonder if God's holding a sin against you or if you're being penalized because you're not yet able to rule every area of your life and because of that you think God is holding it against you, then I would encourage you to come up here in a moment for prayer. Prayer that he will remind you and renew your mind according to this declaration. When Jesus on the cross took his final breath and cried out the words, it is finished. The issue is, are we going to believe that? I want to encourage you to believe that. Now we're going to take communion together. So go ahead and pass these out. As you take as you get your little cup and this little neat takeout container. Go ahead and open the top. We, we may need a spiritual gift to help us to open this thing. Unleavened bread, bread made without yeast bread that doesn't rise in other words a cracker you know why because it reminds us of when God told Israel in Egypt get ready tonight because tomorrow you get to go free we don't have time for you to make bread and let it rise and mix it again and let it rise and mix it again and let it rise, which is what you had to do in the old way. And it would take up too much space in our bags anyway. So make bread without yeast or leaven so you'll be ready to go. Well, for us, this is not a sacrifice. Jesus has put away all sacrifices by the sacrifice of his life. If you're not a Christian today, and you're not choosing to become one. That's fine. You have that right. I would encourage you not to take communion. But if it's, in your, if it's your intent to give your heart and soul to the ownership of Jesus, then I would encourage you to do this along with us. For he is your Lord too. 
But as we do this, let's ask the Holy Spirit to renew our minds and keep washing us with those three words. Once for all. Once for all. Once for all. Father, we are grateful for the symbolism that you gave us of a very real event that's going on in us right now as we stand together. That your body was offered as a sacrifice once for all and your blood was shed as a sacrifice to take away not only our sins but the sins of the whole world and all we must do is believe it. So go ahead. Take the bread or the cracker. carefully open the rest of the cup when Jesus said on the cross it is finished our response needs to be I believe that I believe that you believe that once for all it is finished father we drink this and we say thank you for the blood that was shed take away our sin once forever as we get ready to dismiss I want to strongly encourage you we're going to have people up here now who are delighted to pray with you they'll be right up here on the front on both sides and I would strongly encourage you That if this understanding, once for all, if that's shaky in your life, as it is for a lot of us most of the time, or a good portion of the time, God wants to renew your mind so that you are not shaky in that anymore. So that you will not wonder if you have been forgiven once and for all. The good news for us is Jesus died for us before we were ever born. So there certainly can be no argument that the sins he paid for in me are past, present, and future. Because I wasn't even alive when he died for those sins. Are you there? Father, we are grateful that you are completely and utterly faithful to your word. And your word, as we've seen, Lord, over and over and over again in your word, you tell us this deal is once for all and upon that oh God we ask you to renew our minds so much so that our lives will be unshakable immovable away from our confidence with you in Jesus name amen before you leave I would encourage you to come up and agree with each other up here in the front in prayer if you've never given your life to Jesus but you're doing it today, come forward and talk to one of these people. Have them pray with you. Seal this in your life and begin the greatest adventure you could ever imagine of the miracle of the new birth growing up inside of you. And have an awesome week and share this hope with the people that you run into this week. Good afternoon, Abbot Luke. Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.